0: (laughs) yeah it was beautiful hello
1: and welcome to lore watch a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of blizzard entertainment i'm your host joe prez one of several lore focused folks from blizzard watch and i've got my stupendous co-host with me today matt rossi how you doing today matt (laughs) yeah so i'm gonna leave that in there so if you heard the bark at the beginning that's because my dog decided that she was going to kick us off with the count so yeah (laughs) But we're going to be doing some questions and answers today. We know that you guys love it when we answer your questions, and we love it when you send them to us. Uh, so by all means, send them in to us. Uh, you can send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, we also have Discord channel set aside specifically for it. We have one set aside for patron supporters uh, for the podcast in the queue. We also have one for non-patron supporters. Uh, we do tend to look for our patron supporters first as a way of saying thank you for keeping our show going. Uh, and thank you for keeping our show going. Uh, and I know this is a running joke because this is a running joke on the uh, Blizzard Watch podcast. But our first question is not from Tetsemi this week. First one is from Godzilla. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Four score and seven expansion teasers ago, a man, man once said, Young heroes, I was once like you. You have come to this place seeking to bring judgment upon the damned. In the end, all that awaits you is death. Only then will you understand. You've been following in my footsteps all along. As much as Sylvanas has walked the path of the fallen Lordaeron Prince, she has done her best to prove she's better than Arthas, at least in some instances. By offering a choice when she presented him with uh, Shalimorn, my name for the sword the Jailer made... when being the sharp cookie he is, realize something. If Sylvanas can break him, she can finally break too. So I can. So I ask this. Deep down, what hope does Sylvanas cling to? We've talked about her phantom pain when it comes to emotions before, i.e. war crimes, uh, Delorin, Sarfang, uh, but this feels different than before. Also, again, all the kudos to Patty. She's been on fire this experience. I agree, her voice acting's been top-notch, even better than usual so
0: it's actually been really good for like three expansions quite oh probably. yeah um if you have if you don't if you're tired in sylvanas or whatever that's fine that's your that's your business but i don't think anyone can deny that patty Matson has been playing this character pretty much all across her emotional range from rage and screaming to quiet uh a f- quiet fury to kind of a mocking elegance there's just been a lot to it it's it's been a really Yeah the
1: cin- the cinematic though that Godzilla's referencing for me was one of those moments where like mm-hmm. the raw emotion of the performance even in that that little interactions in the words that were chosen and the way she conveyed them was very very powerful like it hit me um and I I don't say that lightly like I know that the, she's a very talented voice actress but to be able to have sort of that undercurrent in combination with everything we've seen, like in in that delivery, that undercurrent of raw emotion, that undercurrent of fear and anger uh, and hope is just so powerful. Like it was just a great performance. If you don't, if you haven't gotten there yet, you will. And I apologize, but watch the video. It's the same one that was leaked weeks ago at this point. Well worth your time to take in the performance. Um, But yeah, so, so the question's at hand. What hope do we think that Sylvanas is clinging to? What, what do you think her purpose is in offering that choice to Anduin? What is she trying to do?
0: Oh, am I supposed to be talking? Yeah. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> no, go, go ahead. You got some, I want to hear what you, your input is, puppy. Uh, no, honestly, I, this is one of the, the problems I have with this expansion is people keep expecting me to speculate on stuff, but I mean, I could speculate uh, a lot. I could, I could come up with lots of possibilities. that I could tell you, you know, I think it's the, the hope of doing what she said i don't know that that's true but it could be something i could say but ultimately i straight up i don't understand her motivations Mm -hmm. um i felt like i was on a pretty good track with them before up to this point i felt like i would i'd read them pretty well but at this point sylvanas windrunner feels like somebody who is desperately trying to lose and has no idea how like it's it it's almost like if you look at the end of her life when she died, when she fought Arthas and she died, the the thing Arthas did to her, the fundamental violation of her life was that. He violated her life. He did to her. it's He took away that choice. He didn't give. That's the thing when Anduin says, oh, it's the choice you never had. It's, that's exactly what happened. He took away from her the ability to make the decision for herself. And she's lived. Not lived, but you know what I'm saying. If we if we qualify the words every time I use them, we're going to be here all day. She has existed with that ever since. That burden, that knowledge that her fate was not her own. Her fate was out of her hands. And for somebody who as, was as good at her job and as canny and effective as Sylvanas, that's the worst part. The fate being out of your hands. There's a thing Illidan once said in Legion that I think ties into this. The concept of fate... And how at one point Velen says to Illidan just before, just before they part, that, you know, fate didn't ta- didn't bring us here. You know, there's, there's that idea, that concept of destiny and fate and the rejection of it that I think is fundamental to Sylvanas' behavior up to this point. It's not about fate. It's about what you do. It's about your choices. Arthas took the choice away from her. But by doing this stuff, horrible as it is, as horrible as she has become at least she decided to do it. She made a choice. She was offered non-existence or this, and she chose this over non-existence. And now she's, like, everything she does seems to be based around that concept of, you know, damned, but what's the, what's the old line? Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven? Yeah, that's, that's um, sort of the classic epitaph. The, the, the Milton quote from Paradise Lost. In this case, it's better to, you know, better to be damned by your own actions than to be a victim. Then, you know, it's... You can be the person who's crushed underfoot, or you can be the one doing the crushing. And that seems to be kind of where we are. But at the same time, it feels like Sylvanas wants to lose. She just doesn't know how. Yeah. She she doesn't know how to throw the game.
1: Yeah. Like, I've been getting a distinct impression about that for a while now that, like, and we talked about this way back when with the shattering of the helm and. A lot of the other little things she's done over the years, it feels like I call it the quiet little rebellions, accomplishing what's asked of her in a way that sets up future failure. Like we had talked a while ago about with the the short story that was released with dealing with Bolvar's Four Horsemen and the fact that he was essentially setting it up so that he could kill that he had an ace in the hole to, if he had to go over a line that he didn't want to cross, there was a reckoning waiting for him. He set it up for him to purposely lose at some point, uh, but in a manner of his choosing, victory through defeat. Um, Sylvanas has some shades of that going into this and the speculation is whether or not she actually wants to win or whether she wants to lose but I think you're honest on that I don't think she really understands how to lose and I think that she's in conflict with herself more now than ever like some of the things she's been saying for a while have started to make sense machinery of death this clockwork universe and I think there's some truth to what she's saying when she's like, look at where we are in life. We don't get to make choices. We're on a destined path in death. We're on a destined path as well. And and think about that from her perspective. You live your life feeling that you make all these choices. Then, like you've pointed out, her choices are pulled away from her. She's made to serve And be it basically under control of something else, forced to do things. And then even when she's free, I think there's shades of her feeling trapped in what she's become. Going back to, like, uh, before the storm, I got a very, I don't want to say a palpable sense, but, like, it was there that... She was almost resentful, not of these people, but the fact that she had to lead them. You know, like she kept lying to herself saying that she was doing what's best for them. But I think maybe deep down she doesn't want to be in this position. She just doesn't know how to walk away from. She doesn't know how to let go of it. And here she's talking about, you know, breaking the cycle, breaking that sort of thing, because now she's discovered that even in death, you don't have a choice. You're sent some. And the interesting thing to me is her decision making seems based purely off the maw right? And it's almost like she's got an incomplete idea of what's happening. She, All she understands is that you die, you're sorted, you're sent somewhere, and that's your eternity. But as we're playing through a lot of these other, you know, covenants, when we're playing through these areas, there is an element of choice to what happens to you. Like Ardenwald is one I can speak the best about, but like you're in Ardenwald, you choose your form, you choose what you get to do, not now with necessarily with the drust invading and caught in the whole anima drought but you got to choose your rebirth like that's one of the things that was evident like the winter queen gives you a choice i give you this opportunity to be reborn into something new i give you this opportunity to be reborn again like it's all about choice and the souls up there get to choose what form they take they get to choose where they move or where they work or what they do until recently. Even Revendreth has an uh, as sort of an essence of that, where even if you're assigned to Revendreth, you choose to give up your sin. You choose to give up your hubris. You choose to release that and to either move on to somewhere else or become something else. All of the zones sort of have that feel to it. You, it's, you have the, these choices to make, but Sylvanas never gets to see that. All she gets to see is what happens in the Maw. Something that has been her only interaction with death really since the time she flung herself off the type of ice crown oblivion awaits you torment awaits you this is what's there this is the only thing she never wore the helmet domination she never got to see into the shadow land she never got to go there because she couldn't not like you know even in in that sort of weird un, undead state that we get into she never got that when she would die she would go to the maw or at least that's where they would ferry her to that oblivion place So maybe part of it is she knows she doesn't have a complete picture and is setting herself up for a defeat somewhere down the line. I I don't know. I'm not trying to make excuses for it or for her and her choices and things like that. No,
0: I I don't. That's not at all my goal. Um, But it it feels like she's inconsistent. When you're talking about someone's motivation, it doesn't excuse their behavior, but it explains it. Yeah. Um, This is true in real life, and it's true in fiction. Knowing what Sylvanas is doing, or at least why she is doing it, go, you know, helps you understand what it is. She's done. Um, it, it, again, it doesn't excuse it. Uh, but at least you understand, Oh, that's what she thinks is going to happen. That's, that's her motivation. That's mm-hmm. her goal. Um, and, and of course there's always going to be, there's always going to be a disconnect between what people believe they are doing and what they're actually doing. Someone can think they are doing X when the whole time they're doing Y. Um, again, you see this in real life all the time. There are people, People think they're the heroes of their own stories. Mm -hmm. Sylvanas thinking that she's, you know, Sylvanas being conflicted is just something that people are. Um, Even if you are committed to something, there's doubt. People have doubts Um, and it's, it's often, there's a behavior called an extinction burst. Uh, When people have made one of the, one of the things people do when, when people are confronted with something that shakes their worldview they will often redouble their efforts to reestablish their worldview as being correct. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing with Sylvanas to a degree is her trying to convince herself that she's right. And honestly, you brought up Arthas. That's a very Arthas thing because I honestly felt one of the things I loved about Wrath of that most people didn't get or didn't agree with was the idea that Arthas was doing everything to convince not you that he was right. To convince himself that he was right.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, look at look at the um, atrocities he caused, like that he yeah. he participated in, and every time it was him justifying, "This is what's necessary. This is what has to be done. This is the only." You see choice. that
0: over and over again with Arthas. Yeah, but in the whole young heroes, I was once like you. bit, that speech was interesting, even though it never actually appears in the expansion. It only appeared in that that trailer. Yeah, that cinematic. Came out. But not even a cinematic. It was a trailer. It was, it was using like, you know, it was stuff that, that they were showing us before the expansion even came out. And the interesting thing about it is that speech is basically him talking about how, you know, I was once like you saying, you're going to make the same choices I made because anybody would, anybody would make those choices. They are what has to be done. I was right. And therefore I not like, I don't have to pay for what I did because it was the right thing to do. And everything he did to lure us up to the top of Ice Crown was to turn us into more of him so he'd have this perfect army of the dam to to go execute his vision. But more importantly, it would prove him right. It's almost like the same thing that Sargeras did,
1: right? Like, it was the whole...
0: Yeah, exactly. Sargeras very much wanted his family back. Sargeras Mm -hmm. wanted them to agree with him. It wasn't enough that he'd done what he did. He needed to be right about it. And that's not unusual you see that again uh, i think possibly the problem i'm having here is trying to articulate this without referencing current events but throughout human history you see this you see people you know who who when brought to account for their actions their justification is well it had to be done yeah. you know and it's that sunk cost fallacy we see in life all the time you know sure I, i'm 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 $30,000 in debt and they're going to come break my legs. But if I just gamble this one time, I'm already in this deep. I might as well go for it again. It's, you know, at some point you got to cut your losses, but, but the sun cost fallacy makes you think, Oh, I can't. Yeah. I've already, I've already spent too much. I've already been through too much. I've already lost too much. Sylvanas, I think is a really good example of somebody who's, you know, no atrocity is beyond her because even if called on it, she'll be like, well, we've already gone this far. Yeah, and, and that's it, very much what, what I'm going to shut up now so Joe can talk. I, I was going to say, but I, th- I think that's sort of the
1: importance or the significance of, of Anduin in this equation, right? Because Sylvanas in life was filled with love and hope and duty and dedication. Like those were the hallmarks of her personality. She was the best Ranger General because she took pride in what she did she cared about defending her people she had the love of her family she had the love of nathanos you know it's she-
0: worth pointing out not going to interrupt you but i think this actually works into what you're saying it's worth pointing out that sylvanas was not the eldest of her sisters uh-huh. and she was not the presumed heir to her mother when they were looking for the next ranger general it was it was Alaria that everyone thought would do it but Alaria lacked that ability to put other people in front of herself when when confronted with the pain of their loss, of the family being destroyed, of their you know their brother dying, of everything being taken from them, the, their mother, everything, Sylvanas and Ilaria had different responses. Ilaria's response was, "Put me in, coach. I want to go murder as many orcs as possible." Yep. Sylvanas was the one who was like, "What? We we don't we how do I we, how do I keep we can't everybody run safe?" Off. Yeah, we can't just run off and start murdering orcs we have to think about us we have to think about our defenses we have to, to someone has to be ranger general and alaria basically was like it ain't me and that's that thing that that's something that you have to remember when you look at sylvanas today
1: and and i think it does very much play into what i'm gonna what i'm trying to get at here is anduin is very much that personality right he's puts everyone before himself. He's not the selfish leader. He's selfless. He cares. He loves. He has a divine sense of duty. In fact, most of his internal conflict comes from his overwhelming sense of duty and sometimes falling short of his own expectations for himself. In a lot of ways, Anduin is more like Sylvanas in life and Arthas than i think any of them want to admit about each other oh i think anduin's starting to get to that point where i think he's starting to figure it out at least a i little think bit.
0: Uh, anduin has always known that about himself to a degree but i think he's but starting the, to figure it out about her yeah and i think it's interesting i think it is the sum the, the the source of all of her hostility towards anduin is in part there's a kind of envy there yeah and that envy is born out of recognizing you know, what, what's the old thing game, you know, game respects game, like, like, like respects, like, yeah. you know, when you're looking at it uh, again, she could be saying she could say to and young hero, I was once like you, she could say that to him and, and it s- would not be in it would not be incorrect.
1: And so she's invested in this in giving him that choice and not forcing it upon him, because if he makes that choice, if he collapses in on it and says yes, I accept this because this is my only way through, this is the only way through to do what I need to do, then she's justified in every horrible decision she's made since she fell. And I think that's big for her because when she looks at Anduin, I think it's resentment not of the living per se, but of the fact of, like we're saying is, he is what she was. He is a leader of his people. He is the heart of his people. In a lot of ways, I think she was.
0: Yeah, and there's... I also think that she wants to give him the choice because as he pointed out, she didn't get one. And so that's, you know, that is one way to prove she's better than Arthas. But also I think that there's a certain amount of, by offering him the choice, if he takes the choice to do this, in a way it's like she's getting to make it for the first time. It's It's a choice by proxy. It's a... If you if you do this thing, then it would have been ultimately if I'd been given the option and I had chosen this, it would have made sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah.
1: No, I totally get you. It it's a fascinating character study. Like we've we've been saying this for a long time. Whether or not you love Sylvanas, she is a good character. Not good as in like
0: good versus evil. She is a broad character. She has got a lot of depth. She's a lot of complexity. She's not just, people want her to just be this, like, supervillainous cackling villain. But she's so much more. And the thing is, is that you can do absolutely horrible, monstrous, evil things and not be a mustache twirling supervillain because every person in history who did horrible, evil things, and there's a long list. Still had things; they were still human, and that's the thing. There's there's a a core of the personality of the person involved is a person. They're not just you know they're not just a character who's like there to like do the evil thing and cackle some. They're not Gul'dan, right? Who even even Gul'dan has been portrayed as more you know with more depth than that. But at the the end of the day, Gul'dan is the is the villain you want when you want a villain who just is gonna do the evil thing. Whereas with with Sylvanas. Everything she does is based around the core of that character. The loss, the violation, the the response to it. And I think that's definitely a sense here as well.
1: Yeah, and, I, and I, I think it's going to be more interesting moving forward. Because I think this is why I don't want Sylvanas just to die off. I don't want her just to be removed from the story. When we talk about like what her ultimate fate's going to be, how this expansion's going to deal with her, what where she's going to go... I don't want it to be, oh, Tehran murders her, and that's the end of the story. I want there to be something more because she has so much depth compared to a lot of the other characters. Not that, not that any of them are bad, but it's she's so complicated. She's so good for generating story and interactions with NPCs, especially now with Menethil being in the picture again, that's a dynamic we haven't really been able to experience yet, and I would be fascinated to see what a, you know, post-Shadowland Sylvanas interacting with Menethil could mean or would look like. I would like to see what the Forsaken look like in the aftermath of this as well and what reckoning there would be there and how that story and her existence would propel it because no matter what, she's intertwined with the forsaken at at a very core level has been since this game released uh it's impossible to to remove her completely from it and even canonically like in story we know that there are still Savannah's loyalists that are, are part of the horde having her die doesn't it limits what can be done with that in my opinion um but I think we've talked about that a lot. I'm going to move on to the next uh, question. I'm going to jump a little bit here, because I think this ties into this particular question, or the previous question from Godzilla as well. Uh, hello, Matt and Joe. The blue sparkly rock that the Jailer put in, puts an Anduin sword. You guys think that's a soul? Because I think that's a soul. Whose soul do you think that is? Varian, Arthas, Hogger? thoughts and that's from sabotage the balance druid of ravencrest server so i i mean ravencrest server apparently only has one balance druid i'd have to keep a mental note of that but what do you think like we saw that cinematic where he reached through a portal he pulled out a gem of some type and it does look almost very similar to the soul crystal that we are wielding as we're capturing or or ferrying souls out of the. yeah
0: mob. um that's why i'm gonna make a point here the soul crystal that we're using does not contain a soul many yeah, and we know that the stuff that we fight, the constructs and so forth that we see, they're made using the secrets from the rune carver. They're not made with a soul. And we, when we first get to the the mall, when we're doing the intro fifty, to, you know, experience to get in there, we we find out that the soul things wandering around, revving, around the mall, are not a spirit. They're not a soul. They're amalgamations. They're mashed together. So we don't know that that's a soul. It could be a lot of souls
1: or it could be certain aspects of a lot of souls. Cause that's, that's another theme that seems really interesting here as well, especially when you consider the infusion of anima that's coming out of Revendreth and directly into the Maw. What was Revendreth doing to get anima? It was taking the worst of people, their pride and hubris, their uh, sins of gluttony and hatred. And it was distilling it down into an energy and that's what's being pumped directly into the Maw. And we don't know what the Jailer is doing with it. He's using it, but we haven't dealt with any of that yet. We know that he's raising an army, but when we get there, he already has an army. This is before the the influx of Anima from Revendreth. But what is he specifically doing with all of that Anima? Where is it going? What is it doing? And something like this, it feels like a mash together of a lot of different souls makes sense, especially if it's the worst part of those souls. The worst part of those memories that are being that were have been ripped from people for generations in Bastion, uh, that we know that the Mosswarn are going after because as you're moving through Bastion, that's what they're doing. They're going to these places where memories are stored or taken or uh, removed from the Aspirants. Uh, we know that the pure funnel of anima coming out of Revendreth is vile. It, it is the worst traits of everything. Um, if he's taking all of that and distilling it down. Is he trying to make a better Lich King? Is he trying to find an avatar for his power to go somewhere else and doing that with all of these things? I mean, because if you think about it, the all of the Lich Kings that came before Bolvar, even Bolvar to a certain extent, uh, have had an incredible level of hubris or pride or something that skewed the scales on them ever so slightly towards... Uh, I don't want to say an easy fall to sort of that evil mustache twirling presence, but they could very easily justify it through whatever those means were. Bolvar is an oddity, but even he has an overwhelming sense of duty. Let's
0: also point out that for all that we want to say, Bolvar is an oddity. Bolvar did send you to rip the spirit out of a deceased member of the red dragon flight and warp it into a monstrous thing of undeath. Well, there is that, you know, and, and he sent you to kill a whole bunch of red dragons in the process of doing so to the point where if you're playing that death knight now you get an astonishingly frosty response you know reception from alexstraza if you're doing the uh quest for the the, the night fey covenant uh she is not happy to see you and this is somebody who was willing to forgive the the, the dragon maw for forcibly breeding her and she's not willing to forgive your death knight. So that is that is a violation on an order that the Red Dragon Flight is definitely not forgetting about anytime soon.
1: Yeah. So that's something I'm to keep not, in mind. I'm not, I'm not saying he's a saint or anything like that, but no. he, the, he all of them had a quality that skewed them in a specific direction, but it was never the right direction. It was never the direction that the jailer needed because we, we hear the jailer basically call out like you were supposed to be this you were supposed to be that you, you were was. the
0: herald of you were the herald yeah. of my coming he says
1: yeah but they never were and why because they were too obstinate because they were too prideful because they had something that kept them from succumbing to the will of the helm of domination and in fact the jailers uh even when calling upon that power and i think that's fascinating and i think that that is something that he's been looking for somebody he can push the into his service into that role into what he wanted the lich kings to be molded into and i think that gem might be and i think the more i think about it the more i think you're right is that it's it's pieces of souls that get him to that because we know that morn blades at least the ones that we've interacted with can alter the wielder it happened with arthas right there's nothing to say it can't happen with this one is well. anything else to add on that one that you can think of
0: I mean, lots. I mean, I could start just randomly throwing out names like it's gold on. But uh, I think ultimately, if it is a specific person, we'll find out as we move on. And if it is like I think or like Joe has speculated some kind of amalgamation or constructed thing, we'll find out.
1: Yeah. All right, we'll move on to our next question here. This one is also from Tetsami. Uh, See, you have three questions in this week. Uh, Question for Lore Watch Podcast, based on a picture below. Uh, He did include a picture with his email, or his uh, chat to us in Discord. In Venari's area of the Maw, there's a broken obelisk that looks like the graveyard markers used in the other four zones. You had mentioned on a previous podcast that you thought the mall was originally one of the first areas created and the other four areas we've seen came afterward. Other than gameplay reasons, why would these obelisks exist and what do you think their original purpose?
0: That's an interesting question. Um, and I, I don't have an answer to you, obviously, but I can speculate. One of the things I've speculated on about this sort of thing is that if the mall was the original, like, for lack of a word, the, the original core of the Shadowlands as it was created by the first ones if it was the original place you went when you died, which is why when the Arbiter's not there, everybody gets channeled there because it was the original default place that you went. Um, those things would be the, quote unquote, for lack of a word, they're the reincarnating devices. Mm-hmm. They're the means by which your spirit attains some new physical existence because you'll notice when you die and you go through into the Shadowlands, in various places, you attain a new physical experience. You become a new kind of being. You get the Kyrian, you get that with the, in, in Maldraxxus, you get that in Ardenwald, you get it in Revendreth. They all have physical form. You can touch them. Um, in Ardenwield, for instance, the ones that get returned don't go into bodies the way that the, the spirit shaping... I want to call them aspirants, but I don't know the right term because aspirants is the Kyrian, but the, the, the spirits that go to Ardenwield and stay there don't go into wild seeds. The spirits that are going to return to our world are the ones who go to, into wild seeds. Mm-hmm. And... So, there's a kind of incarnation process in all these realms, and then possibly other shadowlands as well because we haven't seen all of them. I mean the brokers exist are they reincarn are they spirits that have taken on a new existence as well? I don't know the answer to that question, but it seems at least possible that when you when you go to the shadowlands, you get a new physical existence, and it's possible that the maw with those those devices was originally set up to do that in a different way, and that way is those those I don't know what you call them obelisks whatever they are um
1: obelisk, i think works i think it
0: works well enough those things seem to be based around a similar concept that that when you you know, when there's a spirit loose in the maw it then recreates you and you'll notice one of the weird things about dying in the maw is you you don't you don't go back to your body as a ghost you die in the maw you're created at the obelisk you yeah. now have your body is back at the obelisk with all your stuff and you have to run back and get to where your body was to get your stygia back but the rest of it's gone, like,
1: and that's you're... the only zone that happens. That 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 yeah. happens in too. Like, I want to make sure that that's perfectly clear. If you die in any other zone other than the Maw, your spirit is essentially ripped from your body, just like we would normally expect, uh, and you look like one of those little you would normally ghosts. expect. To... Well, I mean, on Azeroth, you die. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's inherently already strange, but yeah, it is. Uh, but instead of. And then you go back and get your body, just like you would expect to do on Azeroth. Uh, But the Maw, like Matt's pointing out, it is the oddity. You are reconstituted. You don't go to pick up your body. You go to pick up your Stygia. You go to pick up pieces of soul that you left behind. Because that's. it's almost like it can't be reconstituted with you. Stygia is the distilled or worn-out essence of, of Anima, essentially, right? I think that's what they described it as.
0: Yeah. I don't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. And so it can't be reconstituted with you because it can't be used for anything, which also begs the question of why the brokers want it, because that seems to be their main currency
0: for some reason. But
1: yeah, that's a, that's a whole other
0: yeah it, The byproduct is it, interesting. It's the byproduct of the violent destruction of a soul. Yeah. Which is interesting because it that makes it very similar to the fell. Mm-hmm except it's Stygia is the byproduct of the violent destruction of the soul within the Maw, just specifically within the Maw. It's right there on the, the tooltip of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting to think about.
1: Yeah, and so the fact that you get reconstituted otherwise with all of your stuff, everything in your physical body in the Maw, uh, is fascinating. But I, I, I'm still on that train where I think there is something where the Maw... Was something other than what it is currently. I think that that is a correct statement. What that was is a matter of of wild speculation, but I really do believe since we have Oribos as a created thing, it is physically created and placed in the stream of souls. The fact that now that the Arbiter is gone, it's defaulting to sh- sending everything to the Maw makes me think that the Maw being the first place where things went in the Shadowlands, I think there's something to that. I think it for it might have been the foyer of the Shadowlands, who knows? But I think there's something there, and I think... That there might have been a process before the Shadowlands was ordered by the First Ones, before it was or or might even be left over from what the First Ones first did, uh, that defined a different process than what we know now. That maybe the Arbiter wasn't there and didn't make choices for you. I've been speculating that maybe originally what the Shadowlands did is instead of just assigning you somewhere, maybe you got to make a choice. Maybe
0: discover it. maybe instead of something yeah. for you, you found out what you were good for. You you got to your life was used as you know. I think that every place might have some echo of what originally happened. Like the Kyrian thing where they draw your memories out and examine your life. Mm-hmm. And the Revendreth thing where you're purged of your, your pride and hubris and all that. And the Ardenwald thing where you, you your spirit is bodiless and you you choose a form and the Maldraxis thing of you arrive in this place and you struggle and claw your way into a position that you belong in all that might have been part and parcel of the process the original time Like you know who knows but i think it is at least possible that that's what it was going on yeah and i mean we may
1: never know uh it may be something that we are completely off base on uh it may be something that's revealed later honestly that's one of the things i hope for is I hope that as we move through the Shadowlands, we start getting uh, a more robust idea of what the Shadowlands looked like before. Uh, I'm hopeful that maybe we find out more about the Machinery of Death, because despite the fact that we are here and doing things with the Covenants and doing things to try to fix things, we honestly don't know what the machinery looks like. Aside from souls come into Oribos, Arbiter says, you go here, And then you start your journey in that specific covenant, whatever that is. What if that isn't the machinery? What if the machinery of death, the statement of it being broken, isn't this? What if the ordering of Shadowlands into these areas in, let's say, even just the first four covenants, what if that was the breaking of the machinery? What if this is completely different than what everything was in the natural order? And that's part of the problem. And I'm not saying that the jailer is a good guy, but... Maybe that's also part of that issue, is that with that ordering, with that strict uh, division and resolution, it's lost its way. It's lost its original direction. I want to see if that's the case. I want more information about that. I want to find Kyresto the Firstborn, her memory of that time, or or have the Winter Queen speak about it, or have the Rune Carver wake up and realize that he is the Primus and tell us about what happened back in the in ye olden days. Like, I want something like that because I think it would be fascinating world building, and I want to know more about that. I want to know more about pre-Maw Shadowland, because I firmly believe that the mall was something before it became them that before it became the obulet of souls, it was something else. Um, I don't think there's anything else really to add on that one. Cause we don't really know a whole lot more. Uh, but anything else you want to say before we move on?
0: No, I think that we've covered it.
1: All right. Uh, our next question is from Mark, just Mark. Hello! This is a random thought that occurred to me while watching the most recent cinematic. The Jailer is doing his thing to free himself to do something. What if the Jailer isn't the only prisoner? What if the Arbiter is also a prisoner? Maybe they are one and the same person, but split. What if the Arbiter purposely allowed itself to be compromised by sending certain people to certain etc. Also, now that we have a new Mornblade, you think we'll see Arthas again? He's in the Maw, not sure how they'll use him, but it seems like something that's coming lich king versus lich king title bout Enough said uh thank you for all of your awesome insight and coverage
0: the jailer went through a lot of trouble to corrupt devos after oh, yeah. after she tossed arthas into the maw maybe before she tossed arthas into the maw we talked before but that we think that that thing might be a bunch of spirits but it also wouldn't be surprising to me if you know the lich king was originally Ner'zhul, and then it was nerzul and arthas kind of combined that it was just arthas because he basically ripped the Ner'zhul out, supposedly. Although it was still inside Frostmourne. To and we know that the power of the, the domination... The, the the power of Frostmourne was sufficient to, to rip Uther's soul apart. What if what's in that thing is Arthas? And what if we're thinking wrong about what the Jailer wants from his champion? What if it's all the stuff about Arthas that was quote-unquote positive? His determination, his resolve... His hope, his want, you know, wanting the best for his people. What if that's in there? And that's just one possibility. And I don't, I personally don't want to see Arthas again. I'm done with him. I don't want to hear anymore about Arthas. I mean, talk about him, sure, because he was important, but I I want his story to be over. I felt like he got a good story. I felt like it was, it's, it's, other characters need focus. Arthas doesn't. Arthas got his arc. But if you're, if you're going to see Arthas again, that's one possibility. That, that some, or all of Arthas, whether it's his positive aspects, his negative aspects, all of him—I don't know—but could be that could be what what he just put in that sword, just so, much much like Ner'zhul was in the helm. I've also been wondering about
1: this when we so going back to to uh, Northrend and going back to Icecrown Citadel and going through that whole event when frostmourne shattered one of the things we do afterwards is you gather shards to reforge into another weapon but that weapon doesn't act like and doesn't
0: no, no no that's not what you do the pieces of stuff you're getting throughout the thing are not oh do you mean the do you mean the artifact yeah okay the twin blades i thought you were talking about shadowmourne so i was confused
1: shadowmourne's a little different i'm talking about the the artifact stuff
0: yeah the artifacts are made of pieces of frostmourne yeah. that's absolutely
1: true. so but the the twin blades don't look like, act like, or behave like Frostmourne. Is there something else that was part of Frostmourne that wasn't there anymore? Is that something that might have been, I don't know, ferried back to where it originally came from by maybe one of those Valkyr that was in service to Helia and thusly in service to the Jailer? And I've been thinking about that a lot because it seems weird that he wouldn't just reach out. So let's, if those artifact weapons even back then were pieces still attuned to the jailer in that same capacity in the way that he wanted nothing was done with it at least nothing overt that we um and i'm pretty sure that with all the sentient weapons we had laying around during legion we probably would have gotten something with it whether it was a talking demon head uh, that warlock's got or as Mitch calls it Naifu uh Zalatath talking to you and exp- and and being sentient it almost feels like something would have been done with that i I'm wondering if this is the piece of Frostmourne instead of souls, or maybe it is souls. I don't know. Um, And maybe it does have Arthas in it, but maybe this is the piece of Frostmourne that went missing. The piece that wasn't recovered and reforged, because we definitely didn't gather every single piece. Maybe it was reinforced. Maybe that was the reason that he wanted Arthas thrown into the Maw. Maybe there's somewhere in between that is the right answer of it. I don't know. I'm fascinated to know more about it or what the intention is. Because you might be onto something. What if the good qualities of Arthas were what he's looking? Frostmourne may not have sucked those in. And with Frostmourne being shattered, Arthas technically died after it was shattered. We and he got picked up and thrown into the Maw. Maybe that's why. Maybe he didn't want him it to go in there.
0: It make sense why he's suddenly so interested in Anduin.
1: Yeah, because Anduin has those same good qualities in Spade. So... If I you th-
0: go back... No, no, we're, we're not done yet. I was going to say, like... If you go back, go, 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 you go go. back to the Red Dragon flight, when when... Oh, yeah, Bolvar. When Bolvar sends you to corrupt a red dragon, one of the most powerful of the red dragons, he says he is, this is a being of life. You will take that life and corrupt it into undeath. So we know that corrupting something good into something evil, and I'm doing air quotes pretty hard here, but corrupting things into their antithesis seems to make them more powerful especially when dealing with this kind of magic. Mm -hmm. So perhaps the reason that Anduin is being offered a choice at all is because letting him freely choose to corrupt himself will gain the most powerful servant. And that's something to keep in mind as we move this.
1: Which is something why like is Arthas was given choices, but not in the same manner, right? Like and we've talked about this in the past too. Nerzul was shoved into it. He didn't have a choice. He was he was taken and, and imprisoned inside of it after being tortured. Although it might have been him saying, Yes, put me in the helm after e- eons of being tortured by uh, Kill Jaden. Who knows?
0: No, then he may have been very well given an option.
1: Right. We don't know. Uh, But even if it was made under duress, it's not the same thing, right? Same thing with Arthas. Arthas was manipulated the the entire way. He made those choices, but it's been argued that they weren't really his choices because he was put into situations where his available options weren't exactly great, and so he made the best decision out of a limited pool of decisions. Anduin's being offered something with no tethers right the second, at least like when he's presented the sword, it's, you know, she says you'll be made to serve Yet We know that they can do that. We know that they can do that, but they want him to choose it freely. No coercion, no lies. Oh, no,
0: that's absolutely not true. Absolutely. He is coerced. Well, because you cannot you cannot offer someone a free choice with no coercion if you are locking them up. And will not release them, and will and are telling them up front, we will break <laughs> you and make you do this. Yeah, that, uh, fair, it's, but that is not such. This is not no coercion. What it is is, it's still the idea of you know you can freely choose this, or even if you're forced, it's not a free choice anymore. That is your right. You can choose to go through the torture and see if you're strong enough to survive it. That's it is still a choice. It's just nobody would accept it in a court of law. But that's not the point. This isn't like, you know, there's nobody coming along to enforce a contract here. This is just about making you blink, making you submit. It's submission versus breaking someone. Breaking someone, they didn't submit, you broke them. Yeah. That's a different thing. Anybody will break eventually. Yeah. Even the most powerful person, the strongest mind, the strongest will, there will eventually come a point where there's nothing left of them and then they'll break, but they didn't lose, they died. It's a kind of death. There's that old that old line from from of all places, Star Wars, Knights uh, of the Old Republic 2. When Kreia says, "Redemption is a form of spiritual collapse," and it's the opposite here. It, there's a you can have a collapse, but that collapse doesn't it won't give you the same kind of power as a willing servant. You know, there's a reason that most of the scourge are mindless dregs that aren't worth spit. Their only their only worth is as a swarming mob that you know has no honor or justice or compassion or anything it's just throwing bodies that you don't you know you can't really you can't reason with them you can't argue with them as a mass of writhing undead flesh it's dangerous but it isn't like a like Arthas by himself was worth half the scourge just as a death knight yeah there's a reason that the lich king wanted Arthas to serve him he needed somebody who could do things who could think and feel that's, see, it feels very similar to me. So I won't argue that there's no coercion, but there's a value in a submission that you don't An an
1: acceptance versus a breaking is what it boils down to, right?
0: Look at the Rune Carver. Yeah. The Rune Carver is almost useless. Like, you leave the Rune Carver alone for five minutes and he's making artifacts for people. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, the Rune Carver, even when the jailer interacts with him, he's like, you know, you're a broken thing, but even a broken thing can be made to serve. But Clearly the Rune Carver is not as good a servant as he could have been.
1: Yeah, and I mean there there's definitely something there, and I think. I think we'll find out more about that. I mean, obviously we're we just recently got this cinematic, we just recently got this information, and obviously this is a, an evolving story around Anduin since the moment we first got into the Shadowlands and dropped into the Maw. So we're gonna find out more. It's just a question of where it's going to go or what the ultimate thing is. We know I think that the next step after this week's renown is that we're probably going to stay uh, uh, an extraction attempt. Because that seems to be the motif uh, that we're running to running towards every week with, uh, or every two weeks. So I'm sure we'll find out more about that. Or it could go a different direction because Tyrande is still in Torgath. And that's, that's sort of an X factor here, right? So she ran off and she's still there. She's still in that building. Still exacting somehow. So it might be... A while before we find out what's going on with Anduin. It might be Tron next, but who knows? And I think we have one last question here today, and we're going to end it with a bookend from Godzilla here. Uh, question for Lorewatch. We know that those with an affinity for nature or those touched blessed by Loon or her descendants usually wind up in Ardenwell, such as Holm High Mountain, since he was blessed by Scenarios. My questions: Do you think certain hunters, like Rexar, would end up in Ardenwell? Or better yet, had Sylvanas and Nathanos not been raised as undead back when they originally died and were allowed to pass on, do you think they might have ended up in Ardenwald as meddled hunt? What do you think,
0: Thanos? No, not because I'm. Um, this isn't me dogging on him. I don't like Nathanos, but that's not that's not where I'm going with this. Nathanos Hubris. was much. No, no. I mean, I I'm not in life. Was he? Justifiably proud of himself, yes. But I don't feel that was the core of him. Nathanos loved. Mm-hmm. And he loved somebody so intensely that he gave himself up to that person. He embraced that person's culture. He, he went to that person's world and tried to be a part of it even when they weren't. he wasn't welcomed. And I, I don't think that he went there originally to be in love with Sylvanas. I just think it happened. But he loved her. And it was it was real. And he meant it. And he gave himself up to it. So he fought for it. So I feel like either uh, the Kyrian or Maldraxxus are places he might have ended up. I feel like he knew about how, how to fight for what he wanted and what he believed in. And he knew about service and sacrifice. <laughs> These are things that were fundamentally core to his personality. The, the Nathanos who lived before, I mean, the one who was alive, wasn't some, you know, he wasn't like super pleasant. But he wasn't the guy you, you meet now. He had a snarky edge to him. like he, he's, he's really sarcastic about Lothamar, I believe, one point. Oh, yeah. But, but not, without, not without reason. Loth- not without reason. He was a better shot than, North, than Lothar, you know. Well, not only I mean, that, he, but he
1: also got no, no small amount of, and we get one of these per episode, but he got no small amount of shit from Lothamar.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, they, they were, it wasn't just Lothamar either. They, they were oh, not yeah. welcome. Kael- Kael'thas hated him. Yep. Kael'thas wanted him gone and he he had to constantly fight to try and earn his place so i feel like he could been he could have gone to Kyrian because he he knew about service and sacrifice or he could have ended up in Maldraxxus because he was all about fighting for his place yeah like, and he could have been you know a living nathanos might very well have become have risen pretty high in the ranks he could have eventually ended up a baron
1: yeah and and you know? Maldraxxus is my sort of choice for nathanos as well like I could see Bastion, but I think Maldraxxus would have been the better fit because of what you're saying, because of of the him having to fight constantly to earn his place. That is their entire culture in Maldraxxus. We've talked about it before, and it it's not without its own sense of duty and service. Of you know they're supposed to be defending the Shadowlands, uh, and again we we that's a whole other thing that we can go on about. But he died in defense of you know he def- he died in defense of freaking Silvermoon, I believe. Yeah, he died in defense of Silvermoon, not his not his own land, not his own people. Like that is at its core. I think Bastion or Maldraxxus would have absolutely fit him. As far as Sylvanas goes, though, I don't think Ardenwald at all. I don't think she'd be a wild hunt person. I think she'd be would have been a bastion. If straight from life, everything was about duty. Everything was about protection and doing what you know what her service was for her. She died doing that. She died. She she died to treachery because it was the only way they could defeat her in her defense of her people. I feel like if she would have wound up anywhere, it would have been bastion. I I don't think Ardenweld would have fit for her because she wasn't. While she was a ranger, she wasn't a night elf. She wasn't, a, she wasn't one of them. She, well, I mean,
0: that's, I, I don't think you should say, I don't think being a night elf is necessary. She
1: was wasn't more, as attuned to nature uh, culturally. I, mean, I don't think
0: maybe I, I, I don't think she'd go to arguably either, but I don't know that I don't want to, I don't want to say just because she wasn't as attuned to nature. I think it's that her nature. I think your, your, your case for Bastion is pretty strong. I think I've argued Bastion in the past for her. Mm-hmm. Um. I do think Maldraxis is another place she might have ended up, again because this is a woman who, when presented with the you know the overwhelming army of the scourge, she fought tooth and nail against them. And I think that the you know what's the I've already said once today: game respects game. I think that the, the maldraxi would have been like, yeah, somebody who'd fight against those odds and only lose because somebody on her side betrayed her. Yeah, that's that's somebody who's learned a lesson about betrayal. That's somebody the Primus would would be interested in, but I do think that Bastion's a good choice for her, for much the same reason it was a good choice for Uther, because she was all about sacrifice. She was all about making the you know she she made the calls she made to defend her people. So, eh, I I, I feel like uh, with both of them we haven't really talked much about Revendreth. Yeah, and I, had, I had, because I think in both cases whilst Nathanos had pride. Uh, It wasn't the dominant core of his personality when he was alive.
1: Yeah. And, and like, I think that's a big factor with it. Cause like, if you look at the the folks that go there that are in Revendreth that we know of the named souls in life, they're so consumed by that. I don't want to say selfish emotion, but at some point, selfish emotion, I think fits, whether it's hubris or pride in the... Like, look at Kalthas. Kalthas, he's called an old reliable because even even faced with giving up his sin, absolving himself of of what makes him horrible, he's too prideful to even let go of that, right? Uh, and Garrosh, where a case can be made that Garrosh doesn't actually belong in Revendreth, I think he does. And I think that because he was... Not just not because of the horrible things he did, because he did do I mean, horrible let me, things. I
0: want to step in here for a second Go ahead. to this thing about, about a Garrosh. There's two ways to look about somebody who will do anything for their people. There's the Sylvanas even slash artist thing where it's my people. I think Artist starts to bleed into this second thing though. It's my people need me versus my people need yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. For Garrosh it's my people. It's not my people. The, the emphasis for Garash is not on the people. It's on the my part. Mm-hmm. They are his and he will lift them up because they are his. And you'll notice he never extends the my to anybody who doesn't look like him. He doesn't make the tauren his people. He doesn't make the trolls his people. He doesn't make the the goblins who serve him his people. He, none, his people are orcs. And he never moves past it. And that that racism that he shows, that, that self-identification, that's why he's there. Because the only reason they were important to him was because they were his. And Ar- Arthas definitely goes in that direction. Where he stops being about his people and starts being about what he suffered trying to save his people. Mm-hmm. And I think that Garrosh... Garrosh could have broken that out. He could have, if he'd managed to, to identify with the Horde as a total group of, everybody in the Horde is mine. They're my people. He could have started to branch beyond it, but he didn't get there. He hardened in the wrong time. And that's why he, he belongs in Ravendroth. And, and it's- obviously as a warrior, he deserves Maldraxxus. Oh, yeah. There's no, you cannot argue that Garrosh Hellscream couldn't fight. The guy was a gore machine. He was an incredible fighter only bested like by himself.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think there's a little bit more to it too, because a lot of his decision-making also boiled down to not just the, my part of it, which is exactly where I was going to go with it. But also I I keep going back to those final moments of that confrontation between him and right in, in their showdown, when he says you left me alone, part of it is always is also this fact that he was so ruled by his fear as well, because as soon as they became my people, then he had this, this fear that he would not be good enough or or not be able to do the things he needed to, to defend them. And because they were his, he was willing to do unspeakable things to justify protecting them or to do what was right in his own mind. And I think that also plays into it because going back to the comparison with Sylvanas, in life, she wasn't ruled by that fear. She wasn't ruled by the, sort of that selfish core of it. Uh, and I'm not saying that fear is always selfish. Let me make that perfectly clear. We all feel afraid at times, and that's perfectly natural. But the fear...
0: i also say this, to go along with what you're saying. Being selfish is not inherently wrong. Right. It's how you're selfish. Yes. Occasionally, you have to make selfish decisions. Sometimes you have to stop and say, I can't do this. I need to do this thing for me first before I can do this other thing. If you're always selfless, it's very hard to continue. You will burn out. Mm-hmm. You'll be destroyed. There'll be nothing left of you. The trick is to know when to be selfish. And I think that Arthas lost this battle. He, he, he lost the ability to know, okay, this is when I have to be selfish. This is when I have to be selfless. Anduin is actually a really good example of a guy who has done really selfish things. Anduin ran off to explore Pandaria and determine it for himself without regard to his duty. When he runs off and and when you're in Pandaria and you're an Alliance guy trying to grab our Anduin up and he keeps just running the heck off, he's being selfish. But he's not selfish in a way that is destructive to other people. He doesn't take actions that destroy because he believes they're the right thing to do out of his own selfishness he makes decisions like, I need to understand this before I can make a decision. I'm going to go explore it. it I'm going to have to let this other thing go and and focus on what I want. And that's that's something that has to be done from time to time. Almost every personality trait can have a positive and a negative connotation.
1: Yeah, and and, and I think that's sort of like the interesting distinction between these characters and why I'm definitely in agreement with, with Matt, going back to the core of the question. I, I don't think that, nathanos or sylvanas had they not been raised into service of the lich king uh or the scourge would have wound up in anywhere other than either maldraxxus or bastion i don't think they would have wound up in ravandreth and I, i've heard people make the claim that they would but i think they're judging them based off of what's happened after they were raised
0: especially in the case of both nathanos and sylvanas yeah since uh, the they were in life are not the persons we've met in game yeah they're Oh, Nathanos.
1: I, I, I often—it's not the right word—but they're exaggerations of some of their, some of their qualities from life and death, and we know that that's sort of the case, right? Like we've seen other forsaken get get resurrected that uh, feel so overwhelmingly that hatred and that fear, that anger, uh, the rage. Like we we literally just had a whole book about a person that did that. You know, yeah. So it's. It's almost like when they were raised, certain pieces of them became a core of that identity that wasn't the core of their identity before. Um, so, yeah, that that's, that's really all I have to say about that. Uh, I don't think we'll ever know, uh, although it would be cool to have a moment where, you know, maybe... We see ghostly Nathanos, and he goes, "I don't know where I would have wound up. This is not what I expected, or or something like that. I'd like to have that moment of realization." Some
0: people have postulated that, in fact, their souls went there already, like they were like at least yeah, the, in this case, she was similarly divided, and there's a Sylvanas out there somewhere. And the thing is, is if if Sylvanas had gone to Bastion by now, she might not even remember her name. Yep. You know, for all we know, uh, there's a there's a, one of the the. Kyrian that you'll run into maybe you know her and she he or she is there
1: i don't know that would be an interesting thing to talk about or to think about is if forsaken souls were split especially those that were killed by Frostmorn in the same manner in which uther was uh maybe maybe there's a piece Of them somewhere else and it'd be an interesting reveal to find somebody's memories and say this is who i was and be like oh okay but who knows what the future will bring uh bastion actually has a ton of potential to make reveals like that simply because we spend a lot of time at least outside of the uh, order hall or, or that covenant looking at memories and doing quests around guarding or recovering memories and scrolls and items like that. Uh, I think there's some good room in there for some interesting twists and turns that could be revealed. Uh, wink, nudge, you know, I, I, I if you're listening... Maybe do something with that. It would be kind of cool. But Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast lighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like an early access to the podcasts, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Again, if you do have questions for the podcast, be sure to send them into to podcast at blizzardwatch.com or one of our several Patreon channels, uh, Discord channels for Patreon servers, or Wow, I can't even talk today, folks. For Patreon supporters uh, or one of our non-Patreon channels, we will get to them. Uh, and if you want to support the show in another way, you can also go through Audible. Um, we did talk about several of the books today, and you can get a 30-day free trial uh, with Audible to check out some of those books, whether it's Before the Storm uh, or, or any of the number numerous fantastic books that have been written. They're all out there. And you can listen to them and there's some fantastic voice work in some of them, uh, but you can download many of Blizzard's titles and thousands of more at blizzardwatch.com audible. Uh, thank you very much for hanging with us this week. We'll see you next week and hopefully we'll have some more discussion time about the covenants themselves. <laughs>